going to read to you tonight from John chapter 19. You need to read the book of John. John's a great book, and a blessed book, and a wonderful book. And in this great chapter, we find a, a trial going on. A man standing before a judge. So let me say this. Every person in this house one day will stand before the judge of eternity. My Bible said in Acts that uh, all judgment's been committed under the sun. And one day, men are going to have to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible said every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. I'm glad I've already bowed. I'm glad I've already confessed this name. And he said, if you'll confess my name in this sinful adulterous generation, I will confess you before my Father. But if you deny me, if you're ashamed of me, and you know what's the matter with some folks? They're ashamed of God. Some of you never raise your hand. You're just ashamed of God, most of you. Now, I know some of you say, Preacher, it's not in me to raise my hand. Well, you raise it at your husband at home. Say, Amen, right there, bless God. You ought to raise it down here in church. Then a different way and say, Hallelujah, I'm glad I'm on my way. Praise God. And not be ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the judge. And I want you to see something tonight. I want you to look with me in verse 1, chapter 19. Let's stand and look at the Scripture, if you will, in John, John chapter 19. I'm going to preach to you tonight on a subject God gave me a few, a uh, couple of years ago. And since we're going to mail out all of the sermons this week uh, to our audience, I wanted to get this message in. And it's a message about the crown of thorns and what they mean. And I want to tell you, beloved, I'm glad Jesus wore that crown for me. Thank God, what a blessing it is to know that Christ wore that crown for you and me. Notice what the Bible said in John chapter 19, verse 1. Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. This is a shameful whipping that Jesus had to take. A lash of thirty-nine times upon his precious back. The Bible said in verse 2, And the soldiers planted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe and said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they smote him with their hands. Pilate therefore went forth again and saith unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you, that ye may know that I find no fault in him. I like that, brother. You may find fault, but you'll not find fault in Jesus. They can't find any fault in him. Boy, that wonderful. I serve a Savior that nobody's ever been able to find one flare with. Amen. Nobody's ever found any fault with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now watch what the book says. Uh, then came Jesus forth wearing, now notice, a crown of thorns and a purple robe. And Pilate said unto them, look at this prisoner. Now, that's what he really said. Look at this man that's on trial. Behold the man. Behold. Now he had done nothing to be in that trial. He had done nothing amiss. And yet he took your place and mine. And the Scripture said, Behold the man. If you can see Jesus tonight and what he went through with, I'll tell you, you'll never leave this house unless you're right with God. I believe if you are saved, you'll leave here more in love with Jesus than you ever have been. And Pilate said, Behold him. Look at him. Examine him. Look at him real closely. Put a searchlight on him and see if you can find anything wrong with him. What a blessing. And I want you to just look at this, uh, if you will, tonight, verse 5. It said Jesus was wearing two things. And then I'm going to bring you the message after you look at that. And Jesus was wearing only two things. The first thing that he wore, the Bible said, he wore a crown of thorns. And the second thing he wore was a purple robe. Both of them, my friends, stood for shame. 
both of them stood for that which he didn't deserve. Brother, he wasn't a shameful person. He was a holy person. Now I want you to be seated all over the house. I want you to bow your head for a word of prayer, Father. I thank you tonight for every blessing and been able to come in the house of God. I praise you for this service and for all you've done. I pray tonight, Lord God, that every man, woman, boy, and girl shall listen as though they wish to have them listen. And I pray tonight that the Holy Spirit shall speak to every heart. Oh God, I pray that stubborn wills shall be broken down. That Holy Ghost conviction will cause somebody to come trembling and falling down like the Philippian jailer and crying out, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Lord, this could be somebody's last night. This could be somebody's last call. Oh, God, this could be somebody's last opportunity. We know that the summer is going to end and the harvest is going to pass. And one of these days, God, they'll run for the rocks and the mountains and cry, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth upon the throne. I pray tonight, our Father, that you'll help us as we come to see what Jesus bore and what Jesus did for us, that this might be an unusual service. And our Father, we'll praise you because we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. Beloved, I want to speak tonight on the subject, the crown of thorns and the message which they bear. And before I give the message, let me say that everything Jesus did, he did it for you and he did it for me. I'm glad that everything my Savior ever did, when he came down from heaven to be born, he was born for me. When he walked the shores of Galilee, brother, he walked them for me. When he prayed all night, he was praying for me. When he spoke, he was speaking for me. When he died upon that old cross, my friend, he was dying for me. When he got up that first Easter morning, thank God he got up for me. And he sat down at the right hand of the Father. And he's there for me. And one of these mornings he's coming back. And guess who he's coming back for? He's coming back for me. Are you saved? Do you know him? But to begin the message tonight, I want you to go back 1900 years ago. There was a trial going on in the city of Jerusalem. Now tonight there's a trial in Atlanta. There's never been as much publicity. There's never been as much talked about this trial. But I want you to go back to another trial. And you say, who's there? Pilate, the governor. I've always been sorry for Pilate. He didn't know what to do with Jesus. And yet there are people over this country. And they're just like Pilate. They don't know what to do with Jesus. But you accept him or you reject him. I'm glad, praise the Lord. I knelt down before him and God saved me. But I want you to see not the judge. I want you to see the person, the prisoner. I see him as he's being led in. He's not an ordinary prisoner. He's not the common run thief or a blasphemer or an adulterer. He is one that was holy. He's the one that's altogether lovely. And the two things I want you to see about this prisoner. First of all, his person. Who was he? I'll tell you who he was. He's the first and the last. Hallelujah. I'm glad like Pilate there's nothing wrong with him. You can find any prayers. I'm glad he's without spot and without wrinkle. You hear people curse the church. You hear people curse the preacher. But there's no one that can curse him honestly and do it justly. 
because there was nothing wrong with him. I'm glad when he stood there, he opened his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And what a picture that is when you see Jesus Christ, the faultless one, the perfect one, the holy one, standing there in that place to be tried. The second thing about Jesus, not only this prisoner's person, but I want you to see his power. Those men thought they had him. I want to tell you something, brother. He had all power in heaven and in earth, and he still got that power. I'm glad I serve a God tonight that's got all power in heaven and in earth. There are a lot of people that limit God, and there's a lot of people, bless your heart, and they say, who is God? Where is he? I'll tell you who he is. He's mine and I'm his, and he has all power in his hand, all the power over the world and the flesh and the devil. And I'm glad when you think about his power. Brother, you're thinking about the omnipotence power. You're thinking about one that has power over devils and disease and death and everything else. But tonight, the Bible said, he said, put a crown of thorns on him. And I see those big thorns as they're padded together. And they were placed in the form of a crown and put down on the head of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you say, what about it, preacher? Those thorns have a message, and they speak five things. If you have your pencils, write them down. The thorns speak, first of all, of the curse that he bore. My Bible says in Galatians 3 and verse 13, He hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. He took on the very curse of God. Somebody said, what is the curse of God? There are two places you'll see it. One in the future, I'll come to that in a moment, but one in the past. Go back to the book of Genesis, chapter 3, and the Bible said they sinned, and because they sinned, a curse fell upon this creation, and the whole creation groaneth and travaileth even now. First of all, the curse fell upon the serpent, and God said to that serpent, because of what you've done, there are two things you're going to do forever. You're going to be on your belly and crawl, and the second thing, eat dirt as long as you live. Every time you see an old snake, you have to think about the curse of God. It's down on its belly. Somebody said, do you believe in handling snakes? Yes, sir. With a shotgun or a hoe or something. Somebody said, why, well, I'm not afraid of snakes. Bless God, I'm afraid of snakes. I'm afraid of four kinds, big ones, little ones, dead ones, and live ones. I don't want to have anything to do with snakes because the Bible said God put a curse down on that old serpent and it's under the curse of God. It's the only curse that will not be lifted forever. The curse will be upon the serpent. But there's a second curse and it fell upon the woman. I know this is not popular but the book says that this woman would bring forth children in great sorrow. Only a mother knows about that. The second thing most women rebel. It says and your husband shall have rule over you. I believe until we get back to where the man is head of the house. And the man takes his rightful position. While some of you men say, in bed, you roost on the end of the bed at night. Say amen right there. Well, that's pitiful, brother. I believe that the man ought to be the head of the home. I believe that he ought to take the authority that 
God gives him not to abuse his wife, not to be mean, but I believe the man has a position as the head of the home, as Christ is the head of this church. And brother, when you find that, it's a happy home. You, you show me an old woman that wants to lead her husband around with the nose, I'll show you a home, bless God, that's not happy. I'll show you a home where the husband says, Sissy, he has to raise his hand when he wants to drink a water. Say amen right there. Brother, that's pitiful. That's part of the curse. And then it fell on man, and God said to the man, In the sweat of your face, not your brow, you shall suffer with sweat every time you toil for your bread. And then he said, When you see an old casket, and you see a funeral train, remember from dust thou came, and dust thou shalt return. And every time I see a coat and a funeral, I say, Lord, it's the curse that fell upon man. If man hadn't sinned, he'd have lived forever in the paradise of God. But because of sin, the Bible says, appointed unto man wants to die and this the judgment. And then, my friend, there's the fourth curse. And it fell upon this earth. And it said, thorns and thistles shall it bear. And but one day, and a lot of people in Atlanta, in Fulton County, and Georgia don't believe this, but one day the curse is going to be lifted. And for a thousand years, Jesus is coming back. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. And the knowledge of the Lord shall cover the earth. As the waters cover the sea. And the Bible said, The lion shall lie down with the lamb. And there will be tranquility and peace for a thousand years. What a day that's going to be. There'll be no thorns on the bush of the rose. There'll be no bitter waters. And the Bible said, For one thousand years, every man will sit under his fig tree. And if he gets a headache, he won't have to reach up and I need to stand back or be seen. Just get your leaf, I leaf for the healing of the nations. Well, you say, preacher, I don't understand that. You don't understand why Jesus died. He didn't die just for your soul. He died for your soul and your body. And thank God this whole earth. And one day, brother, the earth is waiting to be redeemed and the curse will be lifted. And what a day that's going to be. Oh, what a blessed time. I've been over the Alps in an airplane. I've been over the ground canyons in an airplane. I've seen the splendors of God's beautiful nature, and they're beautiful now. But you wait till that morning when the Son of Righteousness shall come down and sit upon that throne. And bless God, there'll be no, there'll be no bite of bitterness. There'll be no curse upon this world. But the Bible said Christ was made the curse for you and for me. And sinner, if you go to hell, you're going to let Jesus and the curse of God upon his shoulders and to the old rugged cross for you for nothing. But that's the second thing. Not only in the past we see the curse, but after the church is raptured. And by the way, the next thing on God's count of events is that glorious morning when Jesus is going to step out and going to sound that trumpet and the voice of an archangel and the dead in Christ are going to come out of there. And bless God, we for life remain I'll be changed in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. I told my wife, who's back there tonight, I said, there's one thing I want to do in the rapture. She said, what? I said, turn around and give the devil one kick before I leave, because he's giving me so much trouble. Somebody said, well, he's never bothered me. Well, bless your heart, you never bothered him. 
if you don't bother him, brother, he'll not bother you. You hear me tonight? I believe the churches and preachers ought to take a stand against the world and the flesh and the devil in these days. And when we do that, we'll see things. Oh, it won't be seen, see. After that rapture, the Bible said the curse of God's coming on this earth. And brother, they'll drink blood and water. And there'll be scorpions upon the earth like horses. And they'll have all kinds of descriptions that are horrible. Because then this world is going to reel and rock under the mighty curse of God. And so you say, preacher, what do I see in that crown of horns? I see the curse that he became for you and me. Secondly, I see the cup that he drank for you and me. Oh, when he was in the garden of Gethsemane, you know what he said? Not my will, but thy will be done. Let this cup pass over me. You know why he prayed that prayer? He prayed that prayer because of two reasons. That cup contained the sins of the world. Now, I want to tell you something, folks. You think about him. He who was so holy. He that never had an evil thought. He that never took one wrong step. And the sins of the world being poured upon him. He said, let this cup pass over me. I want to tell you, it was a hard cup for him. But in that garden, when he saw that cup, he, he cringed because of the sin. And secondly, because of the separation. He'd never been separated from his father. They'd been together to all the eons of eternity. I'm glad they were together in the beginning. And brother, when Jesus was on that cross, part of that cup was when he looked up and said, My God, why is God? God had separated himself from the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to show you something. At the 12 o'clock, at the beginning of that darkness, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. And then in the middle of that darkness, about 1.30 in the afternoon, came this cry, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You see, he couldn't call him Father. He'd been cut off. He had to drink the cup. But at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, I'm glad he'd reconciled the world. And he'd finished it all. And thank God he looked up and said, Father, it's finished and into thy hands. I come in my spirit. I'm glad, my friend, we listen. He drank the cup. He wanted the will of God for him. And it was the will of God that he come down here. And he that knew sin, no sin was to be made as it was sin. And he that had never been separated from God was going to be separated like a sinner that goes to hell. You want me to tell you something? I believe that there's literal consuming burning fire in hell. I believe the torments of the damned are terrible. But I don't believe that's the worst thing about hell. I believe being separated from the maker, the God that made you. Oh, you want me to tell you what's going to make heaven heaven for me? Not the streets of gold and the gates of pearl. But James, I'm glad, thank God, just to look on his face. The one that saved me by his grace and to stand in his presence and to live with God forever and to never see the sun go down and to never see me sin and to never see me suffering will be worth it all, mister. I won't be suffering you from it again. I'll be with you forever and forever. I was once separated from him, but being made nigh by the blood of Jesus. Oh, 
the fountain filled with blood. Let me know. And what a blessing it is tonight to know that friend that if a sinner dies in this church tonight, you hear me? Hell's waiting on you and there's fire there. Torment's waiting on you and it's awful there. But when you're separated from the God that made you, from the God that breathed in your body, from the God that formed him, the God that offered himself a ransom, oh, listen to me, that'll be worse than anything you've ever seen. And so we see that one sad prisoner. Look at those thorns. They speak of the curse that he became, the cup that he drank, and the third thing speaks of the cross that he has to die on. Oh, let me tell you something. He couldn't have died any other way. I've heard people say, well, he could have died. No, he couldn't have died. It was prophesied that he died on the tree. Thank God it was that old rugged cross. And what a blessing it is to think of the old rugged cross. I was thinking yesterday, I have a friend over in Durham, North Carolina. I had him. He's in heaven now. And he could sing. I mean, sing. His name was Garland Jacob, pastor of the Bible Baptist Church over in Durham, North Carolina. Mid old Garland was together for years in meetings in the fellowship, and, and he's the only preacher I've ever heard that could sing and his voice never cracked. I mean, just stay right there with it. Because if a preacher, after he preaches a while, uh, his voice will crack and he can't hold it up there. But old Garland could get there and just hold it. And then he had an open heart surgery, and he had much trouble. And I was up there with him the last few years, and he'd always save his strength. And even when he had to leave his church, he'd come a night. And on Friday night was his night in the meeting. And his wife and daughter would lift him up and bring him down. And Garland would sing that old song, Your Rugged Cross Makes the Difference. And boy, when he'd get to singing, that old rugged cross makes the difference. Nobody could sing it like Garland. Nobody could reach that high note like Garland. And then one day up there, I was up there with old Cleveland Firecroft, and he said, my pastor's going to come Friday night, Mays. Garland's coming. said he's not able, but they're going to get him out of bed and bring him. And he wants to sing the old rugged cross. Makes the difference. That night he sang. When I started out to the car with him, he said, Brother Mays, I'll be back next year. The Lord willing, and I have a song that I want to sing you. said, you know what it is? The old rugged cross made the difference. He said, it's the blood. The cross, it's the blood. And I got there the next year and got off the airplane in Raleigh, North Carolina. Brother Clayman Farcross came over to get my bags and the tears. They're just stringing down his cheeks, and he said, We're waiting on you, Maze. The church is ready. The people have prayed, but Garland won't be there this year. Said Saturday, I preached his funeral. But said his wife is going to bring two ladies from their church, and they're going to sing Friday night in memory of him. The old rugged cross makes a difference. I believe that night, Brother Guy, when those ladies started singing, and his wife broke down and started crying, I believe the angel stopped everything in heaven and said, listen, it's that song down there. The old rugged cross, the blood, thank God makes the difference. But one of the greatest types in the Old Testament of the tree and the cross is that day when Abraham said, God, I love you. And God said, how much you love me? He said, you love me enough to offer your only son, thy son whom thou lovest? He said, yes. They went three days typifying the death and the burial and the resurrection. And when they came to that place called Maliah, he left them there and took that little boy 
Her boy, I don't know how old he was, put the wood on his back. Abraham took the knife and the fire went upon that mountain. I believe it was cloudy that morning. I don't believe birds are singing that morning. I don't believe the flowers were blooming at Moriah that day for Abraham. And he starts up that mountain with that lad. And when they get about halfway, that boy gives the utterance. He gives a question that would stun the world. He said, Dad, where? It's the lamb for the burnt offering. And then Abraham gives one of the greatest prophecies in the Word of God. He said, Son, God is coming down to this world, and he'll prepare himself as the Lamb of God. No wonder John the Baptist said out there to Jordan, raised that hand and said, Look, your folks, behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Let me say to you, it was the Lamb of God that was the hand on a tree. But Abraham took that boy up there, and I want you to watch something quick, and I got to hurry. You know what happened? He took that boy up there and made a fire, laid him down. I believe he kicked him and said, I'll see you in the resurrection. You see, Abraham knew that that boy was coming up in the resurrection. I wouldn't give a preacher nickel didn't believe in the resurrection. That's God, I wouldn't go to church. He didn't believe that one morning, brother, the grave shall hear his voice. And hallelujah, they're coming out of there. Praise God. Boy, I'm glad one of these mornings they're going to come out of there. You say, hey, Mace, what happened? I want you to see something. Here's what happened. He reached and got that knife. Had to be pure. He took that knife down on that little boy and started down. About that time, a voice out of eternity spake. God's trains always are there, children. You don't have to worry. Just in the nick of time. Praise God, he's come every time I need him. Just in the nick of time, he'll be there. Just before you go down. Just before you sink. Brother God will be there. Do you hear me tonight? He said, say thy hand. And then it says, Abram lifted up his eyes. He Abram, lift up your eyes. And Abram lifted up his eyes, and guess what he saw? I didn't know this for years as I'd preach on the subject something like this. But when Abraham lifted up his eyes, he saw something unusual that most people ever see. Oh, I believe that's when he saw my day. Jesus said he was glad. You know what he saw? He saw a ram caught in a thicket. But you know what that word thicket really means? A thorn bush. That little lamb was caught in those thorns. And when Abraham looked that day, he saw that ram with a crown of thorns on. And he said, Someday the Lord's coming, and he'll wear the crown of thorns for me. I want to tell you, brothers, sure as there's a God in heaven, and as sure as I'm here tonight, oh, the thorns that Jesus bore, he preferred the cross, and he will send down. Number four, real quickly, write this down. The crown that he wore on his head that caused the blood to run down, my friend spoke of a coronation day. And brother, that was a sad day. Three coronation crownings of Jesus. Here's your life now. I give you, let me give you quickly again. There was the coronation of mockery. Oh, listen to me. They took him and mocked him and cried, Hail Jesus. And they took him, put those thorns. And let that blood spurt down his uh, cheeks and down by his eyes and the back of his neck. And they stood there and put a reed in his hand and said, You're king. And they mocked him. They mocked him. They ridiculed him. Oh, it's the shame of the mockery of that coronation. But there's a second coronation of the Lord Jesus. And that's in my heart. 
I found him one day, king of my life. One day, I said, Jesus, you take the reins. You know what's the matter with most church members tonight? You know what's the matter with most people, most preachers, most deacons, and most people singing the choir, and most people singing quartets? They never said, be Lord. Oh, I want to crown him Lord of all. I want him to take everything that I am, everything I ever hoped to be. I want to tell him, I'll go where you want me to go. I'll say what you want me to say. I'll do what you want me to do. I was riding to this church last Saturday. I dedicated to God. On Sunday, beautiful auditorium. I mean beautiful. But I have never been to a church so far out in the country. I mean, it's out there where I believe grasshoppers had to check in and find out the way home. I'm telling you, you've never seen such a place in your life. And I went way out there. And we dedicated that church. And we tell you something. And that preacher said, you don't remember. He said, Brother Mays, I made $25,000 a year. I made $500 a week. And I had my car furnished. And I was the insurance executive up here at Raleigh. And he said, I, I had it easy. And he said, I gave up that $25,000 a year and a new car and gas money and, and, and expense money. They come out here where there's nothing. But he said, God's out here. Oh, he said, God's out here. And he said, I'd rather be where God wants me to be than to be any place in this world. Brother, I'd rather be where God wants me to be than any place in this world. And you'll never obey God till you crown him as king of your heart and lord of your life. And brother, that's the second coronation. The first is the coronation of misery. The second is the coronation of myself. And the third is the coronation of majesty. When in that morning, bless God, I want to tell you, he's never had glory peace upon him. But they'll come from the east and the west, and they'll sing, bring forth the royal diadem, and crown him lord of all. Grant, I may not be in a lot of things in this world, but when they crown Jesus, I'll be there. Bless God. I wasn't there when a lot of things happened. Old Paul O'Neill in Chattanooga, Tennessee, went to the Holy Land with me. And every time we'd stop, I'd sing, Paul, sing your song. They can't crown Jesus till I get there. Mother, did you know they can't have that coronation till the bride, the church, till the people of God get home. And bless God, I'll be in that coronation. What a day that's going to be. When they crown him King of kings and Lord of all, every one of us will bow and kiss his blessing feet and say, praise God from whom all blessings flow. What a day, the coronation of the king. You should go out as a young preacher, and the queen was being crowned. And this fellow's dead now. His name was Bob Trout. And Bob Trout was such a descriptive announcer. He told about the splendor in London. He told about the throngs that had come. He told about the thrill of that meeting. And he said, now, the moment for the commonwealth of Israel has come, or for, uh, for England has come. He said, we see the young lady who shall become the queen of all the commonwealth of England. She's now kneeling in front of the altar. The world is spellbound. Here comes the Archbishop of Canterbury. 
in a beautiful, beautiful pillow. He's carrying the crown that will be placed upon his head. And then I rode along and the tears ran down my cheeks. And old Bob Trout said he's getting closer. He's chanting in Latin. He's giving the uh, elegy. He's giving the toast to the queen. Then he raised up that beautiful crown. And they took the pill out from under the crown. He held it in his hands. And he said in a voice, the Archbishop of Canterbury said, I crown thee as the Queen of the Commonwealth of England. And the tears went up. Boy, I just thought, glory to God, you think that's something, son. You wait till that morning when they come from the east and the west. And brother, we crown him. It'll be a coronation day like you've never seen. Thank God for that day when I will crown him the coronation. The crown of mockery will be the crown of majesty someday. And we'll crown him. Now here's the last thing. Those thorns that he bore that was planted that day. I only speak of those four seas, but he speaks last of the cure. Oh, I'm glad I don't have to stop here and tell you of the curse. And I don't have to stop here and tell you the mockery and the separation and the sin. But I'm glad, thank God, they, those thorns speak, my friend, of the cure. What a blessing! What a blessing it is! The Bible said when they came to Mara, that the waters were made sweet by a thorn tree, or a tree, and somebody said it's a thorn tree. Well, I'm glad when my waters of life were bitter. I'm glad, mister, when I had nothing to live for, that the tree of Calvary came. And it was the cure. And I knelt at that cross. And Jesus forgave me. And Jesus cleansed my sin away. And God made me a new creature. I'm glad I found the cure. The cure is not baptism. The cure is not Baptist. The cure is not Methodist. There's an old bald-headed Methodist preacher with us last week. And boy, upon Sunday, he got up my like this. He really loved God. I mean, you could see God all over him. He's bald-headed and didn't have a hair up there. And he said, children, my head reminds me of heaven. No part in there. Praise God. But he said, I want to tell you something. He said, I know the night God saved this little old Methodist fella. He said, I know the night... Brother, that God sanctified him. Now, I believe God did something for him like sanctified. Bless God, I know tonight God put something in my heart I didn't have. And I believe we need a lot of things today. Do you know that? I like to be sanctified about twice a week. And sometimes I believe I ought to be sanctified three times a week. And somebody said, Preacher, but you know what he said? He said, All this squabbling and bickering between the Baptists and the Methodists and whatever you have you, it'll all end at the grave, you heard. Said it won't go beyond the tombstone. And I said, Praise God, that soul. Oh, it'll end at the graveyard. It won't go on any farther. Are you listening to me? It'll not go on any farther. But he speaks of the cure. Now, let me show you something. In Numbers 21, the Bible said they complained. And they fussed at the preacher. And they criticized the preacher. And that's easy to do. You don't have to go far to find people that can lambast the preacher. Let me tell you something, friend. The Bible said when they criticized Moses and they murmured against Moses, that God, now you listen to me, that God sent out serpents. The Bible said the devil didn't have to do with that. And the Lord sent out big fiery serpents and get them. And they started to swell and they poisoned and they were dying. 
dying. And babies were crying because mothers were dying. Husbands were weeping because their wife's arm had swollen or the leg had swollen where they'd been bitten by serpents. And you know what they did? They called on the preacher. Isn't it sad that some people wait? I mean, some people never think about the church and God and the preacher until they're standing at the very gate of death, until they hear the winds of eternity blowing, until they don't know where to turn and what to do. And they say, preacher, help me. And so they cried to Moses, and Moses said, let me go before God. There's a cure somewhere. And Moses went up and stretched his hands out before God and said, God, give me the cure. And God said, all right, I'll give you the cure. Did you see that piece of brass right there? Take it. And you take that piece of brass and you, you make you a snake out of it. I mean, you beat that brass until it's round and it curls up like a snake. And he said, you take it, and that judgment, brass stands for judgment. And you hang it on a pole and put it in the midst of the camp. You see, Jesus is always in the midst. Every time you find him, bless God, he'll be in the midst in heaven. And when your home's right, he'll be in the midst of it. And when your church is right, he'll be in the midst of it. Jesus is always in the midst. And he said, take that piece of brass and hang it up. And then go to each tent and tell those people there's a cure. There's a cure that God has provided the cure. Tell them God has provided the cure. You know what they did? I said, oh, Moses, go to the first tent. He said, hi, you do, mister? He said, you're swollen up bad today. He said, yeah, I've already given up, made out my will, I'm going to die. And oh, Moses said, would you like to live? You know what he did? He did just like a lot of people right in his church. I look for a better day. Moses said, no, there's not a better day, not a better night. He said, I'm looking for a better time to be saved. Some of you young people, you say, I'll get saved when I'm old. No, you may lose your thinking, your balance. You may do like that boy up at Malden, South Carolina, the night at 12.30 in the morning, just 30 minutes after midnight, put a shotgun in your mouth and blow the top of your head off. And your mother stand there and scream, and your daddy stand there and scream. Oh! You say, preacher, I've got plenty of time. No, you don't have plenty of time. The day's the day of salvation. Now it's accepted time. He said, don't talk to me about religion, Moses. I'm going to die. And he closes this little old tent door. And Moses goes to the next one. And I see a woman standing there with a little baby. And she said, I don't want to leave my baby. I my baby, Moses. If I only knew how I could get healed and cured. Moses said, I've got this joyful sound. I've got the message of the joyful message. I can tell you how that you can be healed. She said, really? I'll do anything. He said, all you got to do is to step out here and look over yonder. In the midst, and there's an old tree. And on that tree is a brazen serpent. And whosoever shall look shall be made whole. I'm glad that woman stepped out by faith and looked and brother, I believe she threw that baby up and said, Glory to God, my son is gone. I've been healed. I'm going to listen to live with my baby. And oh, they rejoiced because she believed. And she looked and she was cured. It's a blessed thing to look. And it's a blessed thing to be cured. I had a friend of mine. I will tell you this when I close. His boy's still going to hell. His people are still Oh, listen, never gotten over it. It's been years ago. He's a preacher and he's afraid to die. I never went with him in a meeting. He'd say, Maze. He'd call me Mace. 
And he's a big fat fellow, and he'd pull his trousers or something. He'd say, Mace, I appreciate you coming with me this year. But said, I know I'm saved, but I'm afraid to die, Mace. And I went to see him before he died in the hospital, me and A.G. Wall. I walked in there in his room. His wife said he wants to talk to you, Mace. I leaned over Brother Clyde Darnell. He looked up with a trembling hand and said, Preacher, I'm not afraid now. <laughs> oh, he said, it's all right. I'm ready to die. I'm ready to go with this. I only have one regret. My boy's not saved. He said, will you preach this funeral? I said, I, I preached my funeral. I said, now, Clyde, I didn't come in and talk about dying. He said, honey, I'm dying. I want to ask you something. Will you try to get junior to God? Oh, will you try to get junior to God? I said, Clyde. I'll do everything I can to get Jesus to God. Clyde died a few days later. His wife, Miss Darnell, said, Clyde, put this $100 bill up to give you for coming. I said, I don't want that. You can put it on his funeral. She said, Mays, you'll never have a better friend than old Clyde. He loves you. He loves you, Mays. And said, all he ever wanted was his boy saved. That funeral, I gave an invitation. I went down by that casket and stood there. And I said, Clyde Darnell wanted me to hold out this hand and tell you that today is the day of salvation. Ten years has passed since then. A lot of people have gone to hell, but they've never forgotten that. That balcony was still in that church. The downstairs was still in that church, and I preached this, you know. And last week, a week before last, I heard his boy had cancer in his mind. Lord, Lord! He's been so close. He's been so close. And he told his wife. He said, well, all these years, I wouldn't get right. I'm not going to get right now. He's not right. He's dying going to hell right up yonder. But the last time he came in to hear me preach, I begged him. I said, Junior, come to God. You need to be saved. And he walked out of there. And I don't know how long he's going to live. But he turned down the cure. He turned down the cure. And I believe he'll go to hell. I believe with all of my heart. He said, no, no, I don't want God. I believe he's going to hell. Every head by the right, close it.